Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire, brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group, and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jags Den Podcast for a special episode, not so much a full episode, uh, but more so a, a special edition or an interview, if you want to call it that, uh, with the Jags great who we're going to introduce in a little bit. Um, I have my man Jacob DeLawrence, who, as you all know, is my co-host, partner in crime on the Jaguars Wire with me. Uh, Jacob, how are you doing, my man? Doing well today, man. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Can't complain, man. Other than this gloomy weather in Georgia, I'm good. But uh, yeah, I, I can't complain aside from that. That's good. Uh, we got something special for our listeners today. Uh, think they'll enjoy it. Definitely, definitely. Uh, we got a jazz great in the house. Like I said, man. Like you know, we don't really do interviews with players, so I felt like this was a little bit of a different dynamic to uh, take with that. But before we introduce him real quick, um, you all know where our handles are: jaguarswire.usatoday.com. You can find the Jags Den podcast in this interview on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, of course. So um, I am at SportsGrind underscore Don on Twitter. Jacob is underscore Jadella. And uh, that being said, we will get into the interview um, with Jags Great. And you all know him from 1010XL, Leon Searcy. Uh, I'm sure you all listen to him throughout the week and his takes and whatnot. So uh, that being said, Leon, how are you doing today? And welcome to the Jags Den Podcast. Hey, gentlemen, I, I appreciate y'all having me on right now. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon. I'm in the car headed to the beach and smoke me a cigar and have a few drinks. Don't get no better than that. It don't. That's Florida for you, man. <laughs> really doesn't like i'm jealous right now i'm telling you jacobs uh he's calling in from work and i'm sitting at my office desk so <laughs> you know I, I wish i could uh speak for the same word where you coming from leon <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well well you know what you gotta make the most of the day i know it's raining up there in georgia that's why i'm a florida boy i'm gonna stay in florida <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you on that. I'm I'm right there with you. I, I'm I'm gonna be there later this month, so uh, I'll, I'll get to enjoy a little bit of that too. So, uh, uh, without further ado, we will just get into our questions real quick. Like I said, we don't want to hold you up. We know you got a nice day on the beach to enjoy. Um, I'll start with the first question, and um, it's it's about the offensive line because you can speak on this as a former offensive lineman, and uh, you know, being somebody who played with Tom Coughlin, as I said, and played with Boselli, you would be perfect to ask about this um and we've long felt that there's a misconception with the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line that a lot of people blame the demise of Blake Bortles on them 
Uh, that being said, um, they were when they were healthy in 2017, they kept him upright and they were a very fluid unit. And I'm talking about the offense in general. Uh, of course, you know, they fell a victim to injuries in 2018. But uh, when 100 percent, what's your your take on this offensive line as a whole, although they do have some holes on the right side? Well, I mean, here, here's the thing with the offensive line. For the most part, last year, they were decimated. In 2017, when the Leonard Fournette was running well, the offensive line, for the most part, stayed healthy. Didn't have any guys, any key injuries. And when you deal with a 16-game season, you want to keep the up, offensive line healthy. And in 2017, they were, for the most part, they were healthy. In 2018, they were decimated. I mean, uh, Cam Robinson blew out his ACL, mm-hmm. second game of the season. Then, uh, you know, he had issues with uh, Andrew Noel with his ankle. And then, and then Brandon Leonard, the center, he blew out his ACL in the middle of the season. And mm-hmm. the only healthy guy that was the only guy that was really healthy was AJ Campbell, who was the right guard. Parnell struggled with injuries as well. So anytime, you know, as much as uh, attention that you give to the quarterback, the running back, and the receivers, if your offensive line is depleted, right. your team is going to struggle. And one another thing, the off- another thing that that the offensive line, you know, they didn't have any real depth, so you didn't have any guys to step in and hopefully guys back to the offensive line to be back healthy uh, mm-hmm. for the regular season. So uh, the key is you got to keep the offensive line healthy if you want your offense, if you want your offense to be productive. True that. True that. I, I agree. Um, and, and like I said, you know, there were some things that, you know, that were in Blake's control, like, you know, the mechanics that kind of never got better, uh, this, that and the other that kind of hurt them as well. But, yeah, like you said, with the offensive line, a lot of them were injured and that just made it a difficult season in general, especially when it's starting with it starting early with Cam. And then it kind of had a trickle effect and, and no depth, as you said. So, you know, that that does um, that can hamper a team, as we saw. And um, the results, you know, was a five win season. So. Uh, uh, up next, Jacob, you got the next question, my man. Uh, yeah. In regards to the offensive line, um, Will Richardson is currently penciled. It looks like he'll be the starting right tackle going into the season. What are your thoughts on what he brings to the table? Because looking at him last year in his rookie year, we didn't get a chance to necessarily see that much. So what are your expectations for him, and what do you think he adds to the line? Well, I mean, it's hard to have uh, any expectations expectations on the guy that you've never seen play to be quite honest man. until he gets on the field I can I can't make a fair analysis on him because right now he's just a guy I mean he has potential I mean they drafted him I believe they drafted him in the fourth round a couple of years back so I haven't seen enough film on him to give him a fair evaluation but um, when you lose a guy like Purnell Purnell was a little long in the tooth as a right tackle, and that's the reason why the Jaguars let them go because they were trying to look for a younger guy. And, every, and if you look at a lot of the mock drafts right now, you know, they have Jawan Taylor going to seven pick Jacksonville as right tackle. So, I mean, I've seen Jawan Taylor on film. He's a brute at right tackle. And if you bring him in, he's the type of guy that you can plug in right then, there, week one. So, I mean, Will Richardson um, can't really give you an evaluation. Um, he, he does provide you with depth. He is young. He does have potential. But the fact that he hasn't started the game yet um, means that he's just a guy until I actually see him perform week one. That's a fair analysis and expectation of there's nothing to go there. There's nothing to go by, so I can't really say anything one way or the other. Right. And right. you kind of mentioned it, which kind of leads into our next question. Sorry to uh, cut you off, Jay. No, you good. Go ahead. But 
you mentioned taking Taylor with the seventh overall pick. Do you feel like that's the right way to go? Like that'll help, that'll add depth, that can fix the issues. Well, some of the issues associated with the offense and offensive line as a unit. Well, you know, I'm, listen, I'm not going to bad Bob Taylor because I actually do mentor him right now. Okay. I've been mentoring him over the last couple of weeks about, you know, talking to him about the process of being a potential first-round pick. And I kind of get these guys an assessment of what to expect uh, moving forward. But in my evaluation of, of, of right tackle, unless you can say that Jawan Taylor is going to be Elaine Johnson for the Philadelphia Eagles, who's a, a three, perennial three-time All-Pro, I don't think you take a, a right tackle that high in the draft. Me, my assessment is, you take if you want to take uh, offensive lineman, take a left tackle and move Cam Robinson to right. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of Cam Robinson playing left tackle right now. I mean, I, I know he's a rookie, and I'm I'm kind of hard on offensive lineman when it comes, but his fundamentals and techniques are are flawed. Now, granted, he's only played two years in the league, but I think he would be more of an asset to the Jaguars if you move him to right tackle and then draft the left tackle at number seven. Now you've got your bookends to protect their foes before. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, the difference between the difference between, and I tell people this all the time, um, the reason why um, Cam Robinson's techniques are flawed in a sense coming out of Alabama is because essentially every time he played against somebody, he was better than them. But when you get to the next level, if your if your techniques and fundamentals aren't are on point, you can get exposed. Now he got exposed as a rookie. Now. It's rare that a rookie comes in and starts to let that in the NFL. So he did an adequate job, but it's just a lot of stuff that I see and his techniques and his fundamentals that needs to be improved upon uh, moving forward if he's going to continue to stay at left tackle. And he's coming off an injury, and he's coming off an injury to his left leg, his ACL, which is his kick leg, his kick and plant leg, and move, maneuverable leg when it comes to speed rushes and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, I've actually had arguments with people on this. Not arguments, but like heated debates with people about that on the Jaguars, where a lot of people are, are like, you know, hey, leave him at left tackle because, you know, he's not really never played right tackle. But I kind of agree with you on that, like with him, especially with him coming off an injury and he struggled prior. One would think he's going to struggle coming back into this season because he's been away from football so long. So I feel like, you know, why not just, you know, maybe try him at right tackle or just maybe get the best available offensive line you can get in the first or second round. Hopefully that's a tackle and just let them battle it out and decide who's the better right, uh, who's the better left tackle and who's the better right tackle. But that's just my personal take. So I, I tend to agree with you and Jacob on that. Um, my question now is, um, since a lot of people, we hear about these um, all over the radio, a lot of people have Tom Coughlin stories. Uh, what's your favorite Tom Coughlin story uh, from your time with the Jaguars? Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, here my, my favorite Tom Coughlin story actually happened my first year in, in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody heard about, you know, the all the uh, – uh, well, his training camp was known as Camp Hale. That's what we call his training camp. It's called Camp Hale. He had all these rules and regulations that you couldn't do and whatever. So on more more, more occasions than none, I used to just do stuff to get fined. Because I, mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was making a boatload of money anyway. So, But my favorite Tom Coughlin story is uh, we were three and six. Okay. And, you know, I just come off of – I just come from a team where we just played in the Super Bowl. 
to a team that was three and six about nine games into the season. So um, I come into the locker room and there's a note on my stool and it says, please see Coach Coughlin. And what we used to call Coach Coughlin back in the day is principal. So we say, oh, yeah, I said, damn, we got to go to the principal's office. <laughs> so I pick up the note. I go to his office. He comes in the office and Tom Coughlin has this chair. He has this chair that you sit in and that, that sloops down. So he looks like he's standing over you. Uh, you know, the man, you know, he, you know, he had that Napoleonic image and, and then he had to feel like he, he was towering. So I'm in his office, I'm sitting down. He says, Leon, how do you think you're playing this year? I said, well, coach, you know, I'm playing average. He said, you say, you're damn right you're playing average. He said, I, we didn't pay you all this money to pay average. Why don't you better? <laughs> well, you know, coach, we're struggling a little bit. He said, Leon, why are you out past midnight? I said, huh? He said, yes, we, we've got people who followed you around and seen that they're seeing you out past midnight. Mm -hmm. He said, what could you possibly be celebrating? We're three and six. I said, Coach, I'm grown. What you talking about? <laughs> I said, I'm grown, Coach. He was like, well, you know, you're grown. You're one of the leaders on this team and stuff. You can't be seen about at the clubs in, in Jacksonville when we're losing. I said, Coach. I said, the reason why we're losing, Coach, now, he'll never admit this to this day, but he'll never admit this to this day. I said, Coach, we're losing because, you know, because we had, back in the day, we had full pad Fridays, bro. We used to be in full pads and go goal line on Friday when we had a game on Sunday. So he was wearing the sound. I basically told him, Coach, we ain't got no legs. Mm -hmm. The reason why we're losing all these close games is because you are running us, you are, you know, you're dragging this team down. I said, you need to let up on the players a little bit, and, you know, you, we'll start winning some games. To make a long story short, you know, we were three and six in 1996. We won six out of the seven games, went to the playoffs, and made it to the AFC Championship game. Now, he would never to this day give me credit for that, but I gave him that speech. <laughs> <laughs> I gave him that speech by letting up on the players and giving us some legs so we could play. And we ultimately made that run, got into the playoffs, beat Buffalo, beat Denver, and win the AFC Championship game. Wow, that sounds accurate too. Just, I mean, we don't know Coughlin like personally, but just from. <laughs> well, I know him real well. Right, right. <laughs> I know him real well. The last, I'm gonna tell you, the last time, the last time I saw Coach Coughlin, I'm gonna tell you what. Last time I saw Coach Coughlin was at the Buffalo game, the Buffalo playoff game, and I was in the bathroom and he skipped me in the line. <laughs> <laughs> he skipped me in line. That's the day, and, and he walked right in front of me. It was a line in the bathroom. Wow. And I was in the bathroom. He opened the door and got in front of me. And I said. I said, well, damn, coach. He turned around, oh, Leon, I didn't see you. I said, the hell you didn't see you. <laughs> Come on, really, man. Leon, man, we you you Bruh. one of the biggest That's... offensive linemen out, you know, that we Bruh. ever had. Yeah, like, right. how did he not Story. see you? <laughs> that was the playoff game in Jacksonville against Buffalo. That was the last time I saw Coach Paul. <laughs> wow. In the line, in, in the line in the bathroom where you skipped. My bad, man. I didn't see. <laughs> really, really, coach. <laughs> All right. So uh, my next question, Leon, um, I, I want to ask something on the um, the latest because, you know, we're coming off a free agent, um, free agency uh, in April or should I say uh, last month in March. And, uh, you know, of course, the big signing for us was Nick Foles. A uh, really quick. What was your thoughts on him, on the Jags signing him? And what do you think he brings to the table in terms of, uh, you know, a quarterback that can lead a team that a lot of people felt were one quarterback away from, you know, becoming like Super Bowl contenders? Well, yeah, I tell I tell I tell people this all all the time that there's nothing like 
you, the faith that you have in a quarterback to get the job done. And I call him St. Nick because anytime in December or January, he's he's bringing gifts to the Philadelphia Eagles. They've needed him the last couple of years in the postseason. They run to the playoffs. So the guy is proven. And there's nothing, the sachet that he has. Anytime you're the Super Bowl MVP, the minute you walk in the locker room, guys are going to know that you got it done at the highest level. Now, believe it or not, that 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 plays a, a fundamental part in just the fact that you know that you got a guy in the huddle that can get it done. And no knock on Blake Bortles. You know, Blake Bortles, you know, Blake was who he was. But Blake is not Nick Foles. Nick Foles is a guy that when he's in that huddle, he tells you, hey, we're down by five. We need a touchdown with two minutes to go. You believe. And as an offensive line, as a running back, as a receiver, as a tight end, you're going to get it done. I tell people all the time that this receiving court with the Jaguars is going to be better because Nick Foles is going to throw those guys open. He's going to know to find – he's going to find holes in the secondary. He's going to find holes in coverages. He, he's going he's gonna to help Leonard Fournette because anytime you got a quarterback that, that's a threat to your defense, you know, you can't put eight, nine in the box now because, you know, last year fundamentally we couldn't do anything in the passing game and they stacked the house on the Jaguars the mass majority of the time. Leonard Fournette was running in holes at eight, nine in the box. That's not going to happen now. Now that you got Nick Foles, he's gonna, it's going to be wide open and that's going to be Leonard Fournette's best friend, his ability to run with six and seven in the box with a healthy offensive line. So I know I played with a quarterback in Mark Brunel, and Mark Brunel used to come in the huddle. And listen, I can tell you when we when we played Denver in mm-hmm. the, the second round in 1996, Mark Brunel, when Denver got close and we needed to go down and score a touchdown, Mark Brunel came in the huddle and said, hey, boys, y'all having fun? Let's go get it done. <laughs> bro, you don't know what that does to it. You don't know what that, that does to the confidence of your whole team when you know that you believe that your quarterback – and what did Mark Brunell do? He took us down, set 80 yards, and he threw that fade pass to Jimmy Smith that sealed the game against the Broncos. But he said it in the huddle four minutes before we even got to it. So Nick Foles is going to have that same kind of confidence that he's going to instill in his team when you're down by five with a minute to go and you need a touchdown. The belief system in that locker room is going to be amazing with Nick Foles in there. Wow, that that's awesome, especially on the stories about Brunel. I remember as a kid watching the, you know, the the game winning drives. He would lead you guys down the field on, and like, you know, it just it makes Bro, so Mark, much sense that he he would go into go and ahead. Pivotal good. games and pivotal games where you think that everything's on the line. Mark Brunel will come in and crack jokes. <laughs> See, that's what we need. You got to have a whole nother level of confidence to be in a tight game Absolutely. and just walk in a huddle and go. Hey guys, y'all having fun? Exactly. <laughs> what? Am I having fun? <laughs> Do you see the scoreboard right now? <laughs> but hey, that just showed he had a clutch gene. Exactly. He had the clutch gene. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's awesome, man. I I, I wish like, you know, I, I never was able to play on the NFL level, but like it's stories like that that make me wish like I could just, you know, be a part of the huddle for that, you know, for for instances like that, because that's just that's awesome, man. And you could tell Mark played with that confidence when you look back at, you know, the film mm-hmm. from back in the day, man. He just he just had that it factor, and hopefully uh, Nate Foles will bring that too. Absolutely, I love I love I love Lefty. I love Lefty. 
Yeah, man, he he oh man, he means so much to the franchise in terms of the past and and the current, man. And uh, you know, I till this day I still have a Mark Brunel poster in my room right now because he just meant so much to the franchise, man, and and what he did for him. Yeah, yeah, Mark Mark's my man. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, so Jacob, you got the last question, and then Leon will let you uh talk about the uh, Top Golf tournament uh, that's going to be held on April the twenty eighth, and you know, get into the dynamics of that. All right, no problem. Uh, yeah, it's the last question. Because to be honest with you, we could ask you questions all day and get stories, and we would love to, but we value your time. So we're just going to get you out of here with one last question before we get into the Legends Top Golf Tournament that Jay mentioned. Uh, you recently w- was on Twitter, and you discussed the how the season ended in 99 when you fell short of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically more or less how the 2017 season went. So from your perspective... Which one do you think was like was more difficult for the fans to swallow? Was it that '99 um, one or was it 2017? Because they're very similar if you just look at it from the outside. Well, I, you know, I think the I think the '99 team is a little bit more devastating because the whole purpose behind you know the progress of the organization or the franchise was to get the number one seed, home field advantage, and the road to Super Bowl to come to Jacksonville. That right. was a whole that, that was a whole premise. The whole premise that went from 96, 97, 98, when we lost those, when we had to go on the road, we had to go on the road. So we made up in our minds going into 1999 that we were just going to be the best team in the NFL and the road to the Super Bowl would have to come through Jacksonville. So that loss is a lot more devastating, mm-hmm. probably to the franchise, because after the fan base got a taste of what we did to the Dolphins, they just the fans just thought it was a shoe in that we was going to make the Super Bowl. Because, you know, you don't beat the Dolphins 62-7 to and not think that we're going to the Super Bowl. And I can remember being on the sideline when they took me out in the middle of the third quarter and when we was up 42-7. to I said to myself, bruh, we need to save some points. Because <laughs> <laughs> we need to save some points, I'm telling you. Because it went from 42-7, to 49, 55, next thing you know, 62. I said, oh, Lord, we just scored too many points. But – that, that that had to be more devastating. You know, it had to be more devastating to the fan base and the franchise because that team in 1999 was probably the best team in Jaguars history with the elite talent that we had on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the Pro Bowl. I mean, the guys that went to the Pro Bowl, we had seven guys go to the Pro Bowl, including myself, Brunel, Jimmy Smith, uh, Keenan, um, you know, uh, Brackens, Kevin Hardy, Carnell Lake. I mean, we just had a star-studded roster where if we had faced the greatest show on turf, we would have got that ass. I believe so. I believe we would have got that ass. Oh, man. I would have loved to see that too, man, to be honest with you. I mean, and I was only a kid when it happened, so like, you know I was distraught on my end, but um, like now to hear Bruh, you were distraught. (laughs) Bruh, you were distraught, bro. I was I was in the locker room after the game when we lost. Mm-hmm. I was so upset, and I don't cry. I don't. I had angry tears. <laughs> I had angry tears in the locker room, and I was I was in the mirror, swinging at an invisible person. That's how mad I was. I right. was just throwing blows because I couldn't believe that we lost that game. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so, though, man. Y'all put so much into getting home field advantage. You know, I can understand Bruh, that. Yeah. 14 and 2, mm-hmm. best record in the NFL, number one seed, uh, 
road to the Super Bowl, got to come through. That's what we dreamed of. That's right. that's all yeah. we worked in. Did work so hard to get that to just let it slip, and we blew it. We blew it. We absolutely blew it. And then you add on the fact that we did a freaking rap song that I was the <laughs> damn producer of. I forgot you about know, that. So that just made it even worse. You know, the fact that we did a, a good friend of mine that played with the Tennessee Titans. I talked to him on the radio show about about three months ago. His name Yancey Thigpen. He told me that before before the game and at halftime, he would play that rap song as Tennessee Titans to motivate his team. And these guys, you know, he told me that he did it because he, he told them, you know, you lose any leverage you can to get you get yourself motivated. He said he played he played the rap song to tell the let the Tennessee Titans know that we didn't respect. I don't think it had any really outcome in the game. I mean, I just think that the Titans, for the most part, just outplayed us, and especially in the second half. But we had Yancey Thigpen on the radio show, and he told me he played the song because he was hurt. He ain't playing the game, mm-hmm. and he said he played the song before in halftime. And then when we lost the game. They started singing the song "Uh Oh" when we lost the game, and Yancey come over there running towards me, singing the song "Uh Oh." Lord, I told oh, him man. I should have body slammed. I told him he was off. I said he was to get body slammed. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you didn't give him an uppercut. Then I'm, I'm, I'm glad you held held back nah, though, because that would have been bad. Boy, I wanted to headbutt him. Now I ain't gonna lie, I wanted to headbutt him. I wanted to headbutt him. I right, for real. Oh man, that reminds me of uh, when. You know, we went on the run recently in, in 2017, Fournette and um, Jalen Ramsey were talking about releasing a song like during the postseason run. And like the moment they released that, tweet, I was like, no, please do not do that <laughs> until we secure this win against. Well, yeah, but, you know. but, but, bro, here's the thing about here's the thing about the uh, the song. Uh Oh, mm-hmm. now I the, the, the guy who produced the song was uh, the guy. You remember the Quad City DJ? Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. OK, so. So he 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 him, him and my my wife at the time they they worked together because my my wife at the time used to work for La Face Records mm-hmm. so she knew she knew old boy from the Quad City DJ and he's a big Jaguar fan so he I, I he came to one of the games it was like week thirteen he I, I got him tickets to the game he was well he was in my box and he, he he watched the game he said man we y'all should do a song I was like oh I thought he was I thought he was just messing around so mm-hmm. he called me up I went to his studio. And I brought some guys there, and we we, we we wrote we did the song. And I told them specifically, I said, "Bro, do not release this song <laughs> until we get to the Super Bowl." Right? He's like, "No, nah, bro, we, we, we ain't we ain't gonna we ain't gonna do that." So week so week fifteen, you know, right before we played Tennessee Titans, I'm on my way to work, and. And I, I turn on the radio station, and the radio station, man, we got this hot new joint from the Jacksonville Jaguar team. Da, 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 da. And, uh, uh, he's playing the song. Mm-hmm. And I'm on my way to work. I said, Lord, I already know Tom Coughlin. <laughs> Tom Coughlin. So Tom Coughlin, so by the time we got in the locker room, I had a note on my dirt. I had me, Keenan, and Jimmy. We had a note <laughs> on our, our, our things that come see Coach Coughlin. So we went to his office. Coach Coughlin's like, he said, what are you guys thinking about doing this rap song? Da, 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 da. We don't need no distractions, this and that. And the best thing that Jimmy Smith said to Coach Coughlin, it rings like a bell. I think about it all the time. Coach Jim, Coach Coughlin was going. We now we granted now we were like four. We were thirteen and one. Jimmy said, "Coach, you scared?" <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. That's what Jimmy Smith said. It was me, Jimmy, and Keenan in there, and Coach Coughlin was going off about the song and 
and you know, this is a distraction and da da da. And Jimmy said, Coach, what's wrong? You scared? Wow. <laughs> he said, because I ain't scared. He said, the song ain't got nothing to do with us playing. And you know what? When we beat the Dolphins 62-7 to in that playoff game, where do you think they played right after the game on the loudspeaking the state? Uh-oh. They played uh-oh <laughs> right away, man. Thank you. <laughs> they played it on the loudspeaking the state. They played the song, uh-oh. Oh, man. The, Leon, I got to tell you, man, it's like the best interview I've done, man. <laughs> that was hilarious. These gems are priceless. Oh, my God. Coach, you scared? <laughs> and you know what? Like, I don't like thinking about it. Jimmy don't strike me as a guy that would like do that. But that that is hilarious, man. That is hilarious to know what went Right. That, that rings like when he said it. Because, you know, because I, I, I was starting to second guess myself about doing the song and stuff like that. And Coach Coughlin going off about. I'm, now we're 13 and 1 now. This is a distraction. We another day. And Jimmy said, Coach, what's wrong? You scared? You scared, Coach? <laughs> I said, I said, God damn. I, I went with you. I said, Yeah, Coach, what's wrong with you? Yeah, we're 13 and 1. Bruh. That's why I love Jay Smooth. Jay Smooth, my boy, Jimmy Smith. <laughs> you know how we gave him, I, you know, you know I gave him the name Jay Smooth, right? No, I didn't know that. I've always wondered nah, where the I origin came from. I gave him the name Jay Smooth because because you know I was a big guy, but I dressed well, and so me, me, Keenan, and Jimmy used to have a battle who was the best dressed. You know when we went on the road, right? And one day Jimmy Smith had on on had on some kind of suit. I said, "Damn, Jay Smooth," and it just came out my mouth. Right, nice. So I, I called him Jay Smooth. Nice, and that's how that's how the or, that's where the origin of Jay Smooth came from, huh? Yeah, that's where it came from. Sure, I gave Cordell Stewart his name, Slash. When when I was playing with Cordell Stewart when uh, my last year in Pittsburgh, right? Cordell Stewart, he he would play, play running back, quarterback, tight end, slot receiver. I said, "Damn, bro!" I said, "You play quarterback slash running back slash receiver slash." I said, "We just call you Slash." <laughs> <laughs> Priceless See, I don't gems. Get no, I don't get no. I don't get. Yeah, I should have copyrighted all that. Right, right, to get your money off of it. But and, and it's funny you mentioned that with uh with Jimmy because like of course he would be like one of the the, the best dressed in the locker room because that receiver money different from everybody else's money. They, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I gave him the name Jay Smooth. <laughs> nice, nice. So Leon, man, we're gonna let you uh go ahead and go about your day, man, real quick. Or, Appreciate I mean, it. No, no problem, man. No problem at all. If you would, please, man, talk about this wonderful event. Uh, the Jaguars Legend Top Golf Tournament that will be held on April the 28th. That's the Sunday during the draft, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, would you talk, if yeah. you would talk about the festivities, you know, who's going to be there and, uh, you know, all, all of the details behind that? Well, the reason why I wanted to do the, uh, the, 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 the um, tournament for the most part is because this is actually the 25th anniversary of Jacksonville Jaguar football. 25 years ago, Jacksonville was blessed with this franchise, and there's been some amazing players that came through Jacksonville uh, over the last 25 years. They actually want to have a top 25 Jaguars um, um, memorial. Well, not memorial. That sounds kind of dark. But they're gonna have. A, they're gonna acknowledge. <laughs> they're, gonna, they're gonna acknowledge the top 25 Jaguars at every home game uh, during this season. So I said to myself, you know what? Let's do a tournament. Because most of these guys I haven't seen for like 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So we got a star-studded event. I mean, it's all going – the mass majority of the proceeds are going to a charity called Foster Closet, mm-hmm. which provides uh, medical, health, home, 
food, shelter assistance for foster kids. So it's an outstanding. You can go to fostercloset.org mm-hmm. uh, if you want to buy your tickets or make a donations as a sponsor. So um, who are we going to have? The, the event's going to be April 28th at Top Golf here in Jacksonville, 4 o'clock to 7 p.m. At 3.30, we're going to have a red carpet where fans can actually go outside and take selfies with their, their favorite Jaguar player or even uh, get an autograph if the players wish to do. And afterwards, we're going to have an after party where fans can come and mingle with the players afterwards. So who do we have on board? Well, we got some top 25 Jaguars that are going to be there. Myself, I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. We're going to have Tony Basali who's going to be there. We'll have Mark Brunel who's going to be there. We're going to have Josh Scobie who's going to be there. We're going to have Kevin Hardy who's going to be there. We're going to have Tommy McManus. We're going to have Jeff Lagerman. We're going to have Dave Waddell. We're going to have Greg Huntington. Uh, we're going to have Maurice Williams. I mean, we're, we're going to have some of the top 25 Jaguars, top 50 Jaguars of all time there. Right now, we've got 25 Jaguars listed to come. And, you, and there's, there's limited tickets. The fan base is only allowed a lot of 100 tickets that they can purchase. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have sponsorship packages as well. We're going to have a silent auction. Uh, we're going to have a silent auction for the event. And I'm working on getting my man from the Quad City DJs to DJ the event as well. Okay, man, that sounds awesome, man. All of the, the legends that you said are coming in. And just, I mean, the, the pure fact that, it, you know, what what it is for, you know, for charity, as you said, is for uh, Foster's Closet. And, and as you said, like, it, it's just going to be a fun time. I, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of the top golf events that they do with the Jaguars. And nine times out of ten, you know, it's a great fan experience. And, and like I said, you know, it also is a, a good cause for the community. So, uh, Leon, man, we really appreciate this. Um, interview and you taking the time out of your day to speak with us like I said you gave us some classic gems I feel like this is the best interview I've done in my short career as a journalist and we really appreciate it I know I speak for, for Jacob hey, as well man if you think you heard something wait till my book comes out oh man oh not that <laughs> where Hold can on. I copy that let me uh, know <laughs> real quick while we got you on the line about right, that book hey you ain't heard nothing yet wait till the book comes out is it going to cover your college career or just Man, pro? It's going to cover me growing up, college, NFL, after football, uh, wife, boss, alimony, um, all that kind. Uh, I will pay for that book just to read the chapters from the U up until like the first couple of years in Jackson. That is oh well my god! Money. Oh. Hey, and if you have a book signing for that man, holler at us, man. <laughs> I'm so confident that the book, when it comes out. It's going to be, a, it's going to, I'm already talking to people about making it a Netflix series because I've got so many freaking stories to tell. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got to pick this book up. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Just like these I said, two gems you gave us in this convo? Yeah. <laughs> And like I said, man, if you have a book signing, man, we, we'll definitely be there for that, man. We, <laughs> so. I'll let you know. The first one's, hey, when I have a book signing, it's going to be in Jacksonville. Uh huh. Okay. All right. And also, right. Uh, we'll have uh, John, uh, your management, uh, me and Jacob, we might be in town for uh, the draft that week. We'll reach out to him and see if we could come through for the Top Golf event. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we, we okay. definitely, once again, we appreciate this, man. Um, good looking out, ladies and gentlemen. That was Leon Searcy, uh, former offensive lineman for the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs>